two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a new podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Welcome to Episode 7 of The Flip Side. My name is Brad Rogoff, Head of Credit Research and Strategy, and with me, I have Shobhit Gupta, Head of U.S. Credit Strategy. Today, we are going to debate whether a decade of growth in the U.S. corporate credit market has ballooned to the point of bursting, and what factors underlie this potentially precarious situation. Welcome, Shobit. Thanks, Brad. It's great to be here. To begin with, I'm going to quickly set the backdrop for what's driven such significant and sustained expansion in U.S. corporate credit. Like many areas of the economy, corporates took advantage of low borrowing rates. They issued bonds at record pace. On the supply side, if we look to 2017, we witnessed all-time highs in investment-grade credit and leveraged loan issuance, and that was with the economy continuing to grow at a solid pace and M&A really starting to pick up. Demand for fixed income, looking at the other side of the equation, was also strong. We have an aging population domestically that wants fixed income assets, as well as a significant increase in buying from foreign investors. And that had a lot to do with U.S. rates, which, which, while low, were above the rest of the developed world. And therefore, U.S. credit represented attractive yield globally. And increased issuance was not just refinancing bonds either. Debt-funded M&A has increased leverage across the investment-grade corporate universe. And leverage buyouts have picked up as well, which tend to stretch companies' balance sheets. And those stretched balance sheets, that's exactly what's gotten the attention of more than just the market participants within credit. There have been comments from several Fed governors, former Fed chairwoman Janet Yellen, Bank of England Governor Carney, and even politicians like Elizabeth Warren that are focused on the increase in corporate debt and what it means. That's right. Everyone's looking for credit to be the canary in the coal mine. Specifically, there are two areas that have gotten all the press as potential harbingers of the next downturn, triple B-rated bonds and leveraged loans. So let's get right to those two areas and look at why they've taken so much attention. Starting with triple Bs, they've grown globally, but really the pace of growth is by far the highest in the U.S., where triple Bs are now over 50% of the U.S. corporate index, and that represents $2.6 trillion of debt outstanding. Exactly 10 years ago, triple Bs were less than 35% of the investment-grade market, and that was only $800 billion of par outstanding. On the leveraged loan side, you saw growth that was you know, incredibly significant as well. You basically had that market double over that same time period to roughly $1 trillion, and 60% of that market is now owned by collateralized loan obligations, more commonly known as CLOs. So I think these trends leave us with really two big questions that we should try and answer here. So one, does growth alone mean there are problems ahead? And two, do these areas of credit pose bigger macro challenges that can actually be the cause and and send the economy into a tailspin? Or will there just be isolated consequences within credit that show up after another catalyst causes the markets to sell off from somewhere else? So Shobit, I will start by asking you about the IG market. Given that's kind of your background, you spent most of your career looking at that. The US IG market is the biggest corporate bond market by far. And two key metrics are potentially troubling. First, the ratio of corporate debt to GDP. That's at all-time highs, and that's something that's been in the press. We even saw the Federal Reserve chairman mention it in a recent speech. Secondly, 
There have been articles suggesting that IG corporate leverage is extremely elevated as well. That suggests IG corporates are in relatively poor fundamental health. What do you think about that? I strongly disagree with that assessment, actually. IG corporate fundamentals in the U.S. look relatively robust to us. A lot of market participants have pointed to the two stats you quoted as evidence of weak fundamentals, but I actually think they're somewhat misleading. Corporate debt-to-GDP ratio, as you mentioned, is close to an all-time high. However, that only tells part of the picture. Debt is serviced with profits, and if you look at corporate profits as a percent of GDP, well, that's also near an all-time high. So companies' ability to service the elevated levels of debt actually looks pretty robust. Leverage stats are actually interesting. The numbers that are frequently quoted generally look at bond issuers today and calculate their current and historical average. While that approach has intuitive appeal, the problem is that it includes many inaugural issuers who had no debt and zero leverage, say, a decade ago. So the historical estimates end up being too low, which then makes the current leverage numbers look too high. I think a better measure is to look at net leverage weighted by the amount of debt outstanding for each company, with the weights changing over time to reflect both new issuers coming in as well as maybe existing issuers falling out. I think that's a measure of better that's a better measure of risk in my opinion. And actually leverage calculated that way looks way less troubling. It is still above the historical median, but not as remotely as high as some of the other stats suggest. And actually, if you step away from leverage for a second, some other fundamental metrics have improved significantly, a fact that I think is generally underappreciated by the market. EBITDA margins are near all-time highs, and interest coverage is elevated as well. Further, companies have termed out debt, which has meant that the reliance on short-term debt is actually down substantially. I actually buy that last part of the argument especially, that we shouldn't only focus on leverage. Interest coverage is very important. And actually, if you think about the corporate tax changes that were discussed in the last episode of The Flip Side, that means that at similar levels of leverage to past, say, corporates, you're paying less taxes and should actually have better free cash flow. So even if overall leverage isn't a major problem, what about the triple Bs that we started talking about before? Not only has the amount of triple B debt grown, but also their leverage has increased. So almost by definition, there are more triple Bs and leverage is elevated for triple Bs, then we should have some concerns about lower credit quality within the investment grade market. That's fair. The growth in the triple B debt outstanding and leverage is definitely concerning. You know, just for instance, net leverage of the 20 largest triple B issuers has risen from about two and a quarter to close to three turns just over the last decade. However, I think there are three key positives which limit the potential risk created by the growth in triple B debt. First, just within the triple B universe, weighting distribution has not deteriorated. Triple B negatives, which are the lowest rung of, of triple B debt, are about 25% of the triple B universe. That's actually lower than the historical average. Second, the sector distribution of triple B debt also has a defensive skew with higher weights in non-cyclical industries, which, you know, all else equal, can handle higher leverage better. And, and finally, and probably most importantly, many of the highly levered companies are large caps. These companies typically have several levers to pull if their IG ratings get challenged. They can cut dividends, stop buybacks, scale back on CapEx, and potentially sell assets, which all, all of which can bring down leverage. Now, look, to be fair, none of these come without cost, but for large caps, a high-yield rating could become an existential question. So we believe these companies will be strongly motivated to use these levers 
if the alternate was that they risk losing IG ratings. So my takeaway is there's some added risk in triple Bs, right? But based on a lot of the stats you just showed, there's enough mitigants to mean there isn't a true triple B bubble out there waiting to burst. But this is a base case, and you'd probably argue a conservative base case, but there's always downside risks to those cases. So what do you think is the biggest of the downside risks to triple Bs right now? I think there are two key risks there. First, while we do not expect fallen angel volumes to pick up, I do think the risk of intra-IG downgrade risk is pretty elevated. Many of the M&A deals have been slow to deleverage, and rating agencies are incrementally getting more stringent. Also, a one to two notch downgrade that keeps the company IG may not be punitive enough for issuers to use some of the levers I just talked about. And secondly, and, and you know, just to be clear, we don't think this is a 2019 event, but longer term, the quantum of triple B debt could become an issue when the cycle turns and fallen angel downgrade rates pick up. As you talked about before, the IG market has grown substantially. At the same time, the high yield market has actually shrunk which means the ratio of IG to high yield that outstanding is near all-time highs. Even a modest increase in fallen angel volumes could therefore have pretty significant implications for high yield investors. And here I thought as a longtime high yield guy that the high yield market shrinking was a good thing and meant that it wouldn't be blamed this time for the downturn in credit. Well, funny you mentioned that because I think that the bigger risk may lie in the below investment grade market. Issuers can choose between a high-yield bond and a leveraged loan when issuing in the junk market, and they've clearly gravitated towards loans. You know, in fact, the high-yield market has shrunk each of the last three years, even as leveraged loans have grown rapidly. Importantly, the growth has actually been concentrated in single B-rated issuers, which sounds a lot worse than triple Bs. There's no disputing the fact that the loan market's become lower quality. We've seen the single B-rated issuance you just mentioned. That's increased, and it's increased at the expense of double B-rated issuance. And that's kind of consistent with typical late cycle where you do see some of these excesses build up and they won't be without consequences. But what I think we need to do here is is change the narrative a little bit. So I will change the narrative on this topic and make it more about the leveraged finance market holistically. And what I mean by that is both the high yield bond and leveraged loan markets, since really that's the portion of the market that incorporates the spectrum of issuers that are essentially rated double B down to triple C. And so while, for example, as we just talked about, single B-rated issuers are at an all-time high in the loan market, when you actually turn to high yield, the double B-rated portion, in theory the best companies, is at an all-time high in that market, and triple C's in high yield are at decade-plus lows as a percent of the market. So the leveraged finance market has not seen a material degradation in quality, in my opinion. That's fair, but is there some reason... uh to worry that issuers are going to the loan market instead of the high yield market? It's really the debt raised in leveraged buyouts where, where the preference is coming through. And yeah, that should be a little bit more concerning for the loan market. But once again, though the quantum of debt is, is still less than it was in, in cycles in the past, you do have to look at both debt markets. So if we break things down further, annual LBO-related issuance in high yield has been running at about $10 billion per year over the last five years. And if we take that same LBO issuance in the loan market, it's actually exceeded $100 billion per year for the last three years. Private equity firms are very focused on attractive terms that include maximum flexibility and the lowest possible pricing. 
Generally, loans also are preferred by these private equity firms because of lower requirements on transparency and a better call structure. The total leverage for most of these deals is no higher than in previous cycles, but more of it is coming in the form of loans than in the past, and that could have hurt loans specifically in a downturn. Well, we should, we should definitely discuss the consequences of that. And also, when you say flexibility, I'm assuming you're referring to covenant light loans. Covenant light loans are now 80% of the loan market. Lack of covenant protection is a source of risk, no? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to grow like that and, and it not be. But let's get a little technical and, and remember the definition of covenant light specifically. So all covenant light really means is that the loan has an incurrence covenant that's tested whenever the company wants to borrow new debt as opposed to a maintenance covenant that's tested quarterly for compliance. Incurrence covenants are essentially what high-yield bonds have and have always had. So loans have become more bond-like with their covenants, but still they have their security, which puts them ahead of high-yield in, in most instances. So when we quantify these covenant differences in the past, they actually tend to be pretty small. Um, but along with the move to incurrence-based tests, there have been many other covenants and restrictions that have also been loosened. And that does mean companies have fewer restrictions on what they can do with their assets. This means the potential loss of value for creditors, depending on what they decide to do with those assets, especially in times of stress. So you combine that with more leverage at the secured level, as I spoke about earlier, and we actually expect loan recoveries to be five to 10 points lower in the next default cycle. So that would mean loans recover in the 60s and not the 70s. So there are clearly consequences of the loan market from loser lending standards. Uh, how have issuers been able to get away with it? Why haven't investors pushed back and said, we want to keep our covenants? As with most things, the law of supply and demand, and in this case, a lot of demand. Loan mutual funds were growing with demand for floating rate funds as the Fed hiked. But those collateralized loan obligations, the CLOs I mentioned earlier, are really the biggest reason. They've seen record issuance, now 60% of the loan market, and they need to be 100% invested in loans at all times. Structured credit, huh? Well, the track record of CDOs in previous downturns hasn't been great, and that's putting it mildly. Although, to be fair, IG-rated CLO tranches were an exception to that as they didn't really suffer losses in the financial crisis. Is this time going to be different, or do you still see risk that possible forced unwind of leverage could exacerbate sell-offs? No, I don't think it's going to be different, actually, for, for CLOs, right? And that's a positive thing. Um, and this is where I think the effects of the growth of the loan market are largely overblown, right, in, in terms of some of the macro consequences. CLOs owning more of the market in down, downturn should actually work as a stabilizer. CLOs use non-recourse leverage, which means they're not forced sellers when prices of the loans that they own go down in even some very extreme scenarios that are worse than anything in history. Compare that to the past when banks owned a large portion of the loan market. They were more levered, faced more mark-to-market risks, and increased the interconnectedness of the financial system. I think that's a good point to end on. It does feel like the loan market behavior may have a bit more downside than triple Bs. But overall, most market issues are more micro and don't appear to be significant enough to drive broader economic weakness. Thanks, Shobha, and thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Flip Side. For deeper analysis, clients can log into Barclays Live and read more on these topics. 
We have a hashtag set up entitled Triple B Bubble uh, that has all our pieces about Triple B, even though we don't think it's a bubble that's bursting. Um, and that includes our most detailed analysis entitled Big Triple Bs Won't Break Bad. On the leverage loan topic, the most recent pieces are CLO Mythbusters and Covenant Light, an evolution, not a revolution. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the flip side. For more insights about this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com/ib.